0: Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Good afternoon and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today we're going to take a look into the Bible to uh, ask the question... Will God create a new earth on October 7th of 2015? Now we've asked the similar question many times. Will the world end on October 7th, 2015? And, you know, that, that is, uh, what we're looking at, the end of the world, the destruction of this earth. But there is also a positive way of viewing it and Actually, that's how God's people do view the end of the world. The the end of the world is looked at in two different ways by two different groups of people. And the world is comprised only of two groups of people. There are the saved and the unsaved. There are God's elect and those that were not chosen, that are not his elect. And... The child of God looks at the end of the world in a positive way. In a, a way that um, he is looking for the coming of Christ and, and for the fulfillment of Scripture. And it is something good to the believer. The unsaved individual does not look upon the end of the world in a positive way. No, he views that very negatively. He looks upon the end of the world as, as the worst possible thing that could ever happen. And the reason for this is the spiritual condition of each one. The, the child of God loves God and the word of God and the promises of God. And the one person who is not a child of God loves the world and and uh, his life in this world is most precious because this is all he has and uh, it's everything to him well we're going to look today at some scriptures where god speaks of creating a new earth because that is what we're looking towards the great possibility the great expectation for the true believer And let's read from Revelation 21, and the first six verses. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven, saying, Behold, behold. I make all things new. And he said unto me, write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. I'll stop reading there. Now we can see even within this passage why the people of God long for uh, and, and look forward to the coming of Christ and and the creation of a new heaven and new earth i mean in this world we have tears in this world we have death and sorrow and crying and pain and misery and and all manner of evil but god says in the new heaven and the new earth, the tears are wiped away from their eyes. And there's no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, nor pain, and there is no more evil, no more sin. But, but instead there is righteousness and goodness and, and holiness and purity and love and all the wonderful things that are the attributes of God, will be found in the new heaven and new earth. So, of course, um, when when you're presenting this information as God does in the Bible, and and laying out a new earth and a new heaven that is perfect and and beautiful like this, and then. God um, says that this world must be destroyed because of sin, and the new world must be created. Of course, it's most natural for the one being told this, the people of God who who this is their inheritance, this is what God intends to give them. it is very understandable that they would look forward. To receiving such a, a, a glorious inheritance of a new earth, a new place to dwell, a new creation, a place where there there is not the uh, sorrow and 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 sadness of this world, it, it's very understandable. And of course, um, when people this world, the, the unsaved people hear the, the children of God, the elect share information about the end of the world. Oh, uh, uh May 21, 2011, judgment day. And, and then more than that, after bringing, um, that message to the forefront of the eyes of the people of world and they don't let it go, but they continue to search the Bible. They continue to dig into the Word of God, looking for more information about the final judgment, about the destruction of the earth. The unsaved person, their reaction to the child of God who continually, they, they don't understand it to them, it's gloomy. It's um, a fixation on death and destruction. Why would anyone want to talk about the end of the world? And uh, it's similar to the world's avoidance of their own mortality. And why would anyone want to talk about their own death or, or think of death in any way? But but to be afraid of it and something that you, you just don't want to discuss, unless of course you're forced to when there's a death in the family or something like that. But otherwise, let's get on with life. Let's live to the fullest and enjoy ourselves. And that's the world's mindset when it comes to physical death to, to focus on everything else. And, and only when it comes for them will they spend any time at all, uh, in dealing with it. And likewise, the end of the world. Whoa, come on. Let, let, let's get off that topic. And the accusation, if it's not directly made, it, it's implied the accusation that the unsaved make of the child of God who wants to talk about these things is that there, there must be something wrong with them. There has to be something wrong with their mindset. They're depressed. They're, they, they can't handle this life. They're looking for an escape. They, they want to get out of the world. Uh, these are things that the world accuses and charges the believer with because we dare to talk about the, the things the Bible talks about. You know, first of all, when it comes to physical death, here's what the Bible says in Philippians 1 concerning the mind of the, the believer, the way the child of God thinks about it. It says in Philippians 1, verse 21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Gain. Gain means you get something good. You're, you're benefiting. It's a positive thing. And, and that's because when the person that God saved dies, the Bible tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So their spirit at the moment of physical death Leaves their body and goes into heaven to be with the Lord. And of course that's a a blissful state. Uh, That's a wonderful place to be with the Lord because there's no sin in heaven. Uh, God is our creator and, and, uh, we, we love him and uh, it, it's a wonderful thing to be with God in heaven. The only Um, drawback, if we can say that, for the child of God who dies is that he's in his soul existence. And and God intends to give him uh, a new resurrected body, but that will not be until the last day. So he's not complete in his salvation at that point. But still, it's a wonderful thing. It's gain. To die is gain. Now, the child of God... Never, never, we, we can sin, but it's never our intention to die, to uh, hasten that. We know that's in God's hands. And so we live our life, however long we live, and God will take us. Whether we're 30 or 50 or 70 or 90 years old, however old, God determines when we go. And we're fully confident in that. We fully trust him that uh, if he takes us today, so be it very well. It's a, it's a positive thing or if he takes us whenever he takes us. And, and likewise, when it comes to the end of the world, the people of God have been looking and searching and, and considering all that the Bible has to say uh, regarding it, not because we're weak-minded, not because we can't handle this life and uh, more accusations that, that others, if they don't come out and say it, imply, oh, you're looking for the end of the world. What's the matter? You can't handle, um, just, just the living life in this world. Well, I tell you what, th- this is the truth. This is what the Bible tells us, that the child of God, it not only handles living life in this world, as well as all the unsaved handle it, but more than that, the child of God handles the spiritual battle that rages daily in the world, that, that because he has been transported out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's dear Son. There's a battle that rages between those two kingdoms and has raged all through history and now is raging in the sense of Judgment Day, even though Christ is victorious. And and, and so we're placed in that battle. And in addition, the child of God begins to experience... spiritual struggle within his own self because now there's been a division made within his own being. He has a new resurrected soul that is perfect and holy and just and wants to do the will of God and yet he retains the physical body that is cursed and corrupt and sinful and the body wants to sin and the soul wants to do good and there's that struggle that is constant within on a daily basis. So that the child of God, much more, incredibly more so than the typical worldly person who is not, uh, saved and therefore they're in the world in both body and soul in, in one whole uh, personality they love their sin, they love the world they're a part of the world the world does not fight against them because they're a part of it their own body does not struggle with their own spirit because they're unified in their wicked desires to follow the the uh, rebellious ways of of the fallen man and and so they have much less to deal with, then does the true believer, the child of God. And God points out that in Psalm 73, for instance, it's one of the reasons that, that God indicates that the, the one that he has saved might be envious of the wicked because it says in uh, verse three and following, for I was envious at the foolish, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm, they are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. And and this is referring to what I was just discussing. They don't have the struggle with the, the kingdom of darkness because they're part of the kingdom of darkness. They don't have the struggle within fighting against um the the flesh because they're one with their flesh in both their spirit and flesh and and so they can be much more at ease much more relaxed much more comfortable they fit they fit in with the world and and to them this is it they're they're not thinking of um how terrible it is here this is all they got they think and this is what they must enjoy so they do their best on a daily basis to get along and and so it, it's not a matter that the child of god is weak or weaker than the people of the world you know when what happens when um The light of the gospel shines into the darkness of this world. What happens to the big, strong worldling when he's walking down the street and hears a track presented in front of him concerning the end of the world or Judgment Day or something related to the truth of the Bible that reminds him he's a sinner and under the wrath of God and subject to destruction, that reminds him that brings up his inward fear of death to die at the hands of an angry God, well, immediately he's fearful and he he wants to avoid it and get away from it and he he cannot stand the truth. So it's not a matter of being weak-minded, no. The the true believer is is not looking towards the end of this world or the creation of a new heaven and new earth out of um, uh, just uh, uh, being a failure of living in this world. There are many believers. They they get along in in um in the world they operate in the world they they have progressed in the world and and made a living in the world as well as anyone else, but they're looking for the end for a completely different reason now remember what God says in first john in first John chapter two, the Bible says this beginning in verse 15, "...love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away." and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. There is an element to this whole idea of those that are willing to to search out a matter, they're open to looking into the scriptures to see if it's so, whether the world will end, whether God will create a new heaven and new earth at a particular time, because the Bible does give much information that the people of God will know times and seasons and 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 so forth. And so there is a a good deal of biblical evidence that God's elect are open to investigate. While on the other hand, we have the reaction of the corporate church, which is, stop talking about that, don't get into any dates, do not bring up any kind of specifics concerning Judgment Day, or the end of the world, or or whatever, we're not interested in hearing it. Uh, uh, Look, this verse says, "...of that day and hour knoweth no man." and And that's it. That's it. That's um, their justification. And then they walk away. And they don't want to hear anything further about it. Well, we can't help but suspect that the, the reason underlying this kind of reaction of of the professed Christian in the within the corporate church, the reason they do not want to investigate biblical evidence about the end of the world is due to a love of the world. They love the world, so therefore they have a reaction just like the unsafe people of the world. The unsafe do not want to look into it. They do not want to think about it. They they would much rather... Focus on the world and the continuation of things. Let's just keep going after the things of this world as we have been, as has been done throughout history. And let's not bring up this ugly topic of the possibility of the world ending. But, you see, that's the underlying motive for the quick reaction to try and write off the whole subject to end the discussion. Let you, you know, we we don't want to look even at what the Bible has to say uh, because no man knows a day or hour. Now we've discussed that and we've seen that they're understanding that incorrectly. Of course they are. It's a superficial, it's a it's a surface, uh, knee jerk response to try and and turn the page and and avoid the topic altogether. And that's exactly what they do when, when they bring up that verse. They refuse. It is a failure to hearken to the Word of God. It's a refusal. It's an outright rebellious refusal against the Word of God to look into the Scriptures, to check things out, to see if they are so because deep down it's troubling. It, it's information they don't want to know. And, and this gives them, and God provided the scripture to allow them to run. And, and run they do. They run to other topics and other discussions after all today. Uh, there's political Gospels and social Gospels and moral Gospels and all kinds of Gospels that the church is busy with other than the true Gospel of the Bible. But the true believer does not have that kind of reaction. Let's turn to Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 3, where we find a passage that has much to do with the end of the world. And also of the new earth. In 2 Peter 3, it says in verse 8, But beloved, and when God speaks to the beloved, he's speaking to those he has saved. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So God says, don't be ignorant. The church tells us, be ignorant. You're not to look into those things. You're not to have any understanding of of times and seasons. The church, by its own hand, according to the doctrine it has devised, has brought spiritual blindness upon itself. It insists, as a matter of fact, that we cannot know. So it insists that it will remain in the dark. And, and not know where it is, uh, insofar as relationship to the end of the world is concerned, they, uh, they're living right on the edge of the end of the world, the final destruction of all things, and they have no idea that they're there. And, and yet God speaking to the beloved says, do not be ignorant. Concerning the one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Because that information directed us to judgment day. That information directed us to know where we are in history. And then it goes on to say in verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but as long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I just want to mention that all here is referring to all the elect. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise. And we read that in Revelation 21 that the earth and the heavens passed away, well, the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness?' "...looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness." Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. Three times God says that his people, the elect, will look for the coming of Christ. In verse 12, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Now, when when you bring information from the Bible to someone that is looking for, and not only looking for, but hasting, indicating a strong desire that it come, when you bring information from the Scripture concerning a timeline of history, a biblical calendar that pinpoints the Great Tribulation, that pinpoints the Day of Judgment, that lays out a strong likelihood for the duration of Judgment Day, that, that includes a final day that falls on the Feast of Tabernacles, October seventh, 2015, what's going to be the reaction of the child of God? Oh, don't, don't tell me about that. Oh, I, I don't want to hear anything about that. Oh, and they cover their eyes and, or put their fingers in their ears. No, no way. That is not the reaction of a child of God. That is not the reaction of a true believer. But the reaction would be, well, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for, as it says in verse 13, New heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Is this, is this the time? Is this it? Is, is this what I've been looking for? Is this the fulfillment of the promise of God that the word of God has told me about and with not despair or, or not with uh, a negative attitude in any way, but rather with excitement, with joy, with tremendous hope, the child of God will investigate. And he'll say, now show me what you found. Because he's not afraid of it. It doesn't frighten him. He, he's not troubled by this information. Uh, to him, to die is gain. To him, to obtain the end of the world is to obtain a new heaven and new, new earth. It's to obtain eternal life. It's to obtain a new resurrected body. What's to be afraid of? Tell me all that you know. Lay it out before me and I will gladly look into it. And, and of course he's not going to fudge anything when he's presented with the information because God has also given him a spirit that desires truth and desires that things be faithful and in accord with the, the Scripture, in accord with the written Word of God. So he's going to search and see. Now, we, he doesn't want a false hope. He doesn't want a false expectation or, or just any old date. He wants that day that particular day that he's been looking for and hasting unto. He wants the day when there will be a new heaven and new earth. And so he'll begin to look at this passage and compare it with that passage and to see if it's so. That's the noble attitude of a Berean, because that's the noble attitude of the true believer, it is not the attitude of the unsaved. The unsaved might look into it to prove it's not so because he loves this world. He wants this world to continue and he despises the thought of, of um, the, the end of the world deep down. And, and so he wants to show that his world will go on, but the true believer has has this mind that God has given him through salvation, where he's very much open to the subject matter and and willing to look for it. To look for it. Now, the Greek word, translated as look for, in these verses of Second Peter 3, is also found in Matthew 11. Let's go over to Matthew 11, and we'll read... Uh, Verses 2 and 3 of Matthew 11. Now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which he do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, And the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. Notice the question that John the Baptist had his disciples ask. Jesus, art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Now notice, they didn't say, art thou the one that should come the messiah that the jews had been looking for for thousands of years because christ came after 11 thousand years of history the people of god had been looking for him all through human history up until that point and 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 now finally there was biblical evidence that this is He. This is the Messiah. This is God in the flesh. Art thou He that should come? Or do we just give up? And do we forget all about this Messiah business? And, and we're, we're just going to go back to the world. Or we're going to go back to the, uh, religion of Israel with the Pharisees and scribes. And we're going to just be a part of that religion again because look, we've looked long enough and, and this is it. You're a good hope, but if you're not it, that's it. No, they didn't say that. They didn't say that because that's not the mindset of the child of God. The child of God does not dictate to God. We don't demand of God. We don't say you must come. You must be the fulfillment of your promise, right now, at this time, or else. We don't say that to God. Even though Jesus was the fulfillment of the promise, he was the Messiah, he was God in the flesh, yet they still leave open the, the possibility, art thou he that should come? We, we hear all these things about you, and, and Jesus answers giving all the biblical evidence of the blind seeing and the lame walking and the lepers cleansed and the deaf rising. And and so he gives them the Bible evidence to answer their question, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for, same as in 2 Peter 3, looking for and hasting unto the coming day of God. Looking for a new heaven and a new earth. Look is, is what John the Baptist and the disciples of John are saying to Christ. If you're not Him, we are going to continue looking. We are not going to stop looking. We are going to just look in another direction. And, and my, that would have been hard and difficult. If Christ were not Christ, after all the mighty deeds and miracles that he did, of course he had to be him. Yet still, yet they let it be known, they would continue doing what God's people do, which is looking for the fulfillment of the promises of God concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the first time. Now, God's people, since Christ came the first time, have been looking for His second coming. Because we know, when He comes the second time, He will judge the world, which He's presently doing. And, and within that judgment will be the destruction of the world, and the destruction of the universe and the formation of a new heaven and a new earth and the completion of all of God's promises to his people. And God's people have been looking for centuries, not for as long as the Old Testament saints. They look for thousands of years. We've looked for approaching unto 2,000 years. We've looked and looked and And we've been greatly encouraged recently with the opening up of the scriptures, the revealing of a biblical calendar that the saints of old had never had before, that shows a timeline for the judgment of the church, for the entire Great Tribulation, with pinpoint accuracy to the very day, and a date of May 21, 2011, that the Bible locked in and cannot be moved because the Bible's evidence points to that day. And and yet the day came and went, and certainly many of God's people have gone to God and said, Look, Lord, is this the time, is this the day of judgment, or look we for another? Is this the coming of Christ? Is this going to be the end of the world on October seventh, 2015? Or look we for another? And so God's people have hope and expectation and are looking for and hasting unto the coming day of God, even as we're living in the day of His wrath. We're still looking For the completion, the fulfillment of all things. And what will people say all the time? What are you going to do if it doesn't happen? What are you going to do if October 8th comes? And all we can say is that we'll continue reading the Bible, studying the Bible, and looking for and hasting unto the coming day of God. And if you have stopped... If you think you're a child of God, but you stopped after May 21, or you stopped after October 21, or if you're thinking, if this doesn't happen on October 7th, I'm going to stop. Well, if you stop looking, here's what God has to say. Turn to Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, the chapter dealing with the great tribulation, the end of the world. It says, beginning in verse 44, Therefore be also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord has made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord when he cometh shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming and shall begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him. And there notice we have the same word looketh for, but here it says he looketh not for him and in an hour that he is not aware of and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And God says the same thing in Luke 12 in verses 45 and 46. But, and if that servant shall say in his heart, My Lord, delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and to eat and drink, and to be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will point him his portion with the unbelievers. And, And there God is again stressing that the people of God look for. They continue to look for. And even in disappointment, no matter what the situation is, God's people look for God to fulfill his word. Because that's what God has always done. He's always fulfilled his word and uh, and and that's why when we go back to 2 Peter 3 notice in verse 13 it says nevertheless we the child of god the children of god we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness we don't look for it for no reason We have a very great reason to look for a new heaven and new earth because it's according to the promise of God. It's, we we don't look for it because of our insecurities, because of a weak mind. We look for it because of the promise of God. That's what the Bible tells us. For instance, concerning God's promise, look at Acts two and verse thirty three it says therefore being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which he now see and here. God promised to send the Holy Spirit to evangelize the earth, to establish the churches. He fulfilled that promise. In Acts 13, it says in uh, verse 23, Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. Jesus was raised up to be the Savior of the seed of David, of the seed of Abraham, according to the promise of God that was given thousands of years before And and God watched over his promise, he watched over his word, and in the proper time, according to his timetable of times and seasons, he fulfilled it. That is uh, typical of what God says in the Bible. In Acts 26, it says, beginning in verse 6, And now I stand and am judged for the hope, Of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise are twelve tribes instantly serving God day and night hope to come, for which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? Isn't that ironic that the, the twelve tribes uh, they, they would, uh, mouth and, and, and say they were looking for the resurrection, for the fulfillment of the promise that God had given. Uh, and yet they are the ones that put, um the apostle Paul on trial. And, and it's for the, the hope's sake, because he believed Christ was risen from the dead, because he believed all that that involved. And, and just like the church today, they profess with their lips to look for and long for, oh, how they long for the coming day of Christ. Oh, just ask them and they'll tell you, oh, we can't wait for that day. But then they also can't wait 30 seconds later to get it out of their mind and, and to not look into the Bible concerning those things, but rather get it back on Outreach programs, earthly programs that, that grow their church and so they can add another wing to their building. Oh no, it, God isn't fooled. God's not fooled by what Israel said of old uh, concerning even the coming of the Messiah. And, and remember when news came to Herod, uh, he, uh, of the birth of Christ, it, the Bible tells us he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him because they really didn't want the Messiah to come. They're hypocrites that they actually desire something that is different than that, what they profess. And that's the condition of the church. They profess that to long for the coming of Christ, and yet, in heart, it's the last thing they would ever want. Uh, but God has given promise um, of Just many things. Actually, the gospel of the Bible is full of the promises of God, uh, in just about every aspect of it. In 1st John chapter 2 that we looked at a little earlier, look at verse 25. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. God has promised to give eternal life to those that He saves. And, and so we, the people of God, believe that we're saved and have eternal life, but it's all belief based on a promise that God has given. We, we have nothing substantial. We, we have the Bible that tell us that. We have the bible that says god is going to do this and and that is our promise that we uh, enjoy and and we hope for and we look forward to and we believe because we believe the bible we believe god we believe he is a god that fulfills his promises in uh hebrews 9 He he speaks of the promise in verse 15. It says in Hebrews 9.15, And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. And what is... That inheritance, well God promised to Abraham and his seed they would receive the land of Canaan forever, an everlasting possession. And that promise of the land of Canaan, of course, cannot be the earthly physical land in the Middle East because the whole world's going to be destroyed, including Canaan, but it pointed to the promise of of a new earth of a new place to dwell for Abraham and his seed which was Christ and all those in Christ all the elect that God would save the promise of God was that the people of God would receive an inheritance an eternal inheritance whereby they will live and and live without tears without sorrow without death live in a incredibly beautiful state and in, in the most uh, glorious uh, joyful condition imaginable beyond imagination forevermore that's the promise of God and here we read in Hebrews chapter 6 God, speaking of the promise made to Abraham in verse 13. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, that means it cannot change, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner for us entered, even Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You see, the whole gospel is, is wrapped up in the promise of God to Abraham, to all of the people of God, that, that his seed would be as the stars of heaven, that God would save a great multitude, that they would receive the land for an everlasting possession. And God swore to them by himself, because there is none greater, he swore with an oath that you will receive the promise. And and people wonder, well, why do you look forward to the end of the world? No, we're looking forward to receiving the everlasting possession. We're looking forward to receiving our eternal inheritance of eternal life, of an eternal dwelling place, a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness, and that would be the Lord Jesus Christ and all that is right. And, and this is what God has told us in His Word. It is the anchor, He says, that, that is the anchor of the soul. It's the Holy Spirit that is confirming the promises of the Word of God to us and encouraging us. Yes, look for Hasting unto the coming day of God. Look for it, because it's great hope for you. And let's also go to Hebrews 10. Uh, there's many other verses I wanted to turn to, but this will be our last one for this afternoon. In Hebrews 10, in verse 35, here God warns, Cast not away therefore your confidence which has great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, draw back from the promise Draw back from the hope, draw back from what the Bible uh, indicates, the people of God will receive to draw back from the truth of the Word of God. If any man draw back my soul shall have no pleasure in him, but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.